0: I have life changing information for you. Okay. So, longtime listeners of the show, you know we love a good synthesizer moment.
1: We, we, we stand the moog on this podcast.
0: Well, that's the fact. It's not pronounced moog. What is it? Moog. No. Yes. There's two O's. Yes. It, that's, that's the way that the guy who invented it pronounces it. Technically, it's pronounced moog, but no one can say that in English speaking countries. So, it's moog. Yeah, that was my my reaction when a uh, no one of our lovely Instagram <laughs> followers messaged us uh, this no. <laughs> but as consolation, he also messaged us this badass Moog player who we need Ooh. to get on the show. So Ooh. pin that for later.
1: I don't know if I, I don't know if I can change it to Moog, considering I already have a hard time with words as is. <laughs> so like. I'm probably going to keep saying Moog, but it is good information to know.
0: We now know we've been saying Moog wrong this whole time. Thanks. <laughs> um, I'm Leah. I'm Bethann. And this is Shu
1: where are they getting a dub in a CPS executive meeting? <laughs> no, bitch, don't touch my <laughs> thermostat. The ghost be like, pull up before I haul you. Let me turn down the thermostat. <laughs> <This> Who is this man? We're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is Shuuraque. We're gonna take an interlude for Rodi to stop drinking his water.
0: Thanks, Rodi. He's playing us the song of his people.
1: <laughs> you know that's track with fire, but I really need more water
0: bowl. <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: I got a fever and the prescription is more water bowl.
0: <laughs> We're coming to you nice and crisp today. Cause mm-hmm. We got new equipment.
1: Hell yeah. So basically my old audio box, which to be fair, I had it for six years. It was a hundred bucks, but you know, it, it was faithful. It, it messed up a lot. Make no <laughs> mistakes. It, it, it was very annoying to work with, but you know, our little Audi box, he kept going but he now, kept going for us.
0: Now he's retired. But
1: now he's retired. He he put in his two weeks notice and was no, super... No, he just
0: crapped out the night of the Ava Cherry interview. Yeah, was he like, was like, fuck just <laughs> y'all.
1: <laughs> That's what it sounded like the entire time. <laughs> Which you and guys was very annoying to don't want to hear, so... No, no, you don't.
0: But we have a new one.
1: Yes. That thanks to the fuck
0: up of Amazon.
1: Sonus Studio 24C. Yes, thanks to Amazon... I they lost my package so I ordered another one and then I got two and I'm not saying this is right it's I'm right. not saying this is ethical but am I going to send the other one for a refund and essentially get a free box you're damn right I'm going to do that
0: they jumped the gun. it was literally missing for a day without tracking They're like, it's lost we don't Listen, know where it is
1: Jeff Bezos is one of the richest men in the world and I'm okay with him taking a dub on a a, an l rather on a 179 box it, it, that's yeah. that's a penny to him i i truly do not feel that if it was a small like fan business i would not pull this shit no jeff bezos yeah fuck yes audio
0: source we're not the man's been to over. space
1: i haven't been to space okay okay
0: <laughs> thank you for your support jeff bezos yes we appreciate your sponsorship of this podcast <laughs>
1: Well, now we have to put in the outro. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for listening. This episode is sponsored by Jeff Bezos.
0: And thank you, Jeff Bezos, for our free audio box. (laughs) Um, So this is your reminder. If you've not left us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, because you can do that now, please do so. Apple came out this week and said, we don't take ratings and reviews into consideration in our charts, which sounds like bullshit to that's, me.
1: That's some BS. And if they don't, then they're doing the algorithm wrong.
0: Yeah, that's what <laughs> I was thinking. They came out with this whole like disclosure on this is how our algorithm works. I'm like,
1: bull. you're just
0: mad that people are leaving your app because your app sucks.
1: Absolute bull.
0: I've not listened to a podcast, an Apple podcast in like three years because they changed the app and it makes no sense. Yeah. But if you listen there, thank you. <laughs> yes you know there are other apps out there right
1: <laughs> but you know a, a review is a review a review is a review as long as it's five stars
0: um yes i guess we have now gotten two one star reviews and one three star review but none of them left comments so cool thanks i guess that works for me but we have a five star rating on spotify so thank you
1: yes thank you very much Let's mind mia Yeah, we are joined by the... We are recording on a Saturday, which is rare for us, um, mainly because one of us needed more time, and that person is me. Uh, So there may be a little bit of interruptions of hearing some barks and whatnot.
0: Rodi keeps licking the couch. It is what
1: it is today, because my husband's working right now, so we will have some some random pup noises. They're cute. They are cute. So this is the second time we're doing a part one and part two.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, we did it but, originally,
0: but you're gonna hear them backwards. Yes. Um, if you're listening to this, we released our Foo Fighters episode first due to obvious timely events. So sorry for the unchronological. It's, it's release. a little bit
1: out of order, but you, you know you'll hear it in the Foo Fighters yeah. episode. Like we woke up today <laughs>
0: to terrible news to sh-
1: the shittiest news. Um, so we just felt like, you know, it was the best thing to do to get that episode out first in honor of Taylor's memory. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we are doing a part one and part two. Um, we did this with Black Sabbath and Ozzy. Yes. It was the last time we did this, and that was part of our Halloween spooky episodes. Spooky season. Spooky season. The spooky season at She Will Rock You is one of my favorite seasons, I must say. So this is one coming off the wish list for me. And You know, when I put it on originally, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a really cool episode. I love Nirvana so much. Um, And it's mainly because I have a special connection in my childhood growing up to this band. So I'm going to do something a little different and start this episode off with a couple stories, if you will. I remember I went through this Nirvana phase around the 10th anniversary of Kurt's death, so 2004. MTV was, like, running all these programs of, like, Kurt and Nirvana music videos during the anniversary. And there was something, like, about this band that spoke to 12-year-old me. Little did I know at the time, it was because I was going to be an emo enneagram <laughs> four, But something really did. Like, I was obsessed with this band. And my uncle, um, who's also a big Nirvana fan, got to see him live and everything, um, he gave me his copy of Nevermind. Aww. And I listened to that album constantly. Like it did not come out of my CD Walkman for like three months. And even at a young age, I was like enamored by Kurt's songwriting and like the jolts and riffs that were in there. But at this age, I learned that people make a lot of assumptions about people, a lot of judgments. And I went to show someone who was in my life a... song um the song breed and i handed over the headphones and i'm like you gotta listen to this and the headphones were pushed away and essentially the person said i don't want to hear a druggie singing about drugs
0: that sounds right
1: and you know i think from that point like not to get like too much into how i was raised but like i think my family was growing concerned that i was listening to nirvana this much not john he doesn't give a fuck. But like, He's probably
0: also listening to Nirvana. Yeah,
1: correct. Correct. So one day, and I've told this story, and it's really, like, in hindsight, a funnier story. It's not, you know, traumatic or anything. Um, one day, I was with my mom at a car wash, and she began cleaning the car and vacuuming it out. And I, for some reason, I was out of the car. I don't know why. Um, but then... And I still do not know to this day how she pulled this off. When I got back in the car, my CD was gone. And I'm not, I don't know for certain if my mother threw it away, but I'm pretty certain my mother threw it away. It didn't
0: just up and vanish. Yes.
1: So, you know, this is, like I said, this is obviously the classic parents worry about rock and roll kind of story. And it's more funny than anything. But something about these two stories kind of spoke to me when I was writing about this. Cause I guess I never realized until I started this episode, like how many people were so against Kurt and Courtney, but like Kurt and the band because of Kurt's personal problems, with mental health. Mm-hmm. And that really affected their lens of the music. And it just brings up the question, why the hell do we do this to our artists?
0: That's the main question on this show.
1: Correct. And that's what we're going to be exploring in this episode. Um, As you can imagine, this is going to be a heavy episode. Like this is definitely, I had a hard time writing this. And part of the delay was because I had some things come up that wouldn't prevent me. But as I was writing it, it was, I had to take multiple breaks because the documentary I was watching, the articles I was reading I was just like this is some heavy shit um so Leah's episode's gonna be a little bit more lighthearted, minus you know the whole thing but um a lot of trigger warnings obviously uh drugs sex suicide all that kind of stuff which I'm gonna throw this at the beginning and the end of the podcast because I think it's incredibly important but if you or a loved one is struggling with suicidal th- thoughts, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. That number is 800-273-8255. Okay, let's begin. So we're going to start with band beginnings. Um, heads up, I am skipping Dave Grohl because Leah is covering that. And by this time, you already heard it. Yep. Um, so he will be skipped over. So we're going to start with Kurt. Because it's no surprise, we're going to be focusing a lot on Kurt because he's kind of the main powerhouse behind it. And so we'll begin with his story. Kurt was, Kurt Cobain was born on February 20th, 1967 in Aberdeen, Washington. He grew up in a musical family. His uncle was in a beach rock band called the Beachcombers, which is really cute. His aunt was a guitarist and she like played with different bands around Washington. That's cool. And then his great uncle was an Irish tenor. He was actually in a movie, I forget what it was called, in like the 1930s, singing this Irish tenor part, which is cute. Um, growing up, Kurt would sing, he'd play piano, and he also would draw quite a bit. Like his favorite cartoon characters, like Donald Duck. Um, that drawing aspect really comes into like, play his entire life, and we'll talk more about it. But as a kid, um, he was just the cutest thing ever. So I watched this documentary for and a lot of good information. And this research comes from that documentary. It's called Kurt Cobain montage of heck. It is on HBO max. Um, also HBO max has incredible music documentaries. Mm-hmm. They really do. It is the best subscription service. If you run a music podcast, <laughs> Um, that and YouTube, that and YouTube. Yes. Uh, But you hear like, a little bit of audio of toddler Kurt saying, "I'm Kurt Cobain," and it's the cutest, oh, adorable voice. Itty bitty Kurt. It's so cute. And then the second cutest yet comical thing: he's about six years old, and there's footage of him flipping off someone. That doesn't surprise me one <laughs> bit. I, I I'm guessing his dad taught him that. Um, but according to Kurt's mom, Wendy O'Connor, he as a child was very hyperactive. So much so that when they were getting ready to have their second child, um, they took Kurt to a doctor because they're like, if he's going to be this hyper around their child, we we're getting a little concerned. So they did like a rapid eye test. And then they did prescribe Ritalin to a child to get him to calm down.
0: That's what they did back then.
1: You know, 60s medical world, man.
0: Here, have some cocaine. You'll be
1: fine. Yeah, literally, like, the er- they look back at the early 1900s, like... Oh, you're giving a baby Mercury? Nah, give him Ritalin. Give him Ritalin. It'll (laughs) be fine. Yeah, that will be fine. Um, But anyway, because Kurt was super hyper, um, his dad was definitely like children not seen, not heard kind of thing. Of course. So his dad was not the best to him, kind of really verbally abusive, but despite all this, Kurt was a pretty happy child for the most part. That was until he was nine years old. And his personality just changed drastically. And that's because at nine years old, his parents got a divorce. So this happy, excitable kid went from really isolated, really withdrawn, and honestly had a lot more anger. um, Because he was embarrassed by it because parents didn't get divorced in the 60s and everyone knew that so um, and it's also interesting because there is like this line in Kurt's life where he just doesn't like being embarrassed so when he starts getting these reviews mm-hmm. and things like it really offsets him quite a bit My anyway, um, so when he was around like 13 and leading up to this point from 9 to 13 he's kind of like spinning out of control um, because he just doesn't know what to do with those emotions, and his mom just like drops him off at his dad. She's like, "This is way too much. I can't handle him." And at first, it was going okay. Then his dad got remarried. He had like a little half brother and step brother and sister, and his anger was just like really there. And he would just like do really mean things. They didn't really go into full of it. And then all of a sudden, he's getting kicked out again, and now he's living with like aunts and uncles and grandparents and all this stuff and then eventually like his dad one morning just drops kurt off on his mom's doorstop and you know at this point he's like high school years so you know from 13 to high school that's a long time to like not having a stable home yeah you know um kurt of course went through phases of drinking smoking pot stealing things hanging out with not some not cool guys. You can watch a d- documentary to learn more. I'm just not going to get into it. Um, It's also worth noting that at this point, his cartoons are just getting like offensive to be offensive at this point. Like he kind of just goes through these phases. First, they're cute when he's a kid and then in high school, you know, he's a high school boy. So like who was in Reagan was in office and he would draw Reagan in unflattering positions yeah. and submit it to art class. And they're like, uh, <laughs>
0: just typical high school boy stuff
1: yeah like he, he had a very we'll say he had a very creative mind um but anyway uh he was really isolated at school um I mean he had some friends but this kid is just like he's been through the ringer at really such a young age um and you know at that age he was already having suicidal thoughts. Like it has been a streamline in his mm-hmm. life. He also had family members that it's like kind of like a someone smarter than me can tell me what the hormones and all that stuff is. Um that causes that through family lines. But, you know, he had already tried at that high school age to try to commit suicide by laying on train tracks and then the train went the other way. Oh my like, god. Like went on the other track, yeah. So he, yeah, so it, he, this has always like, unfortunately been a streamline in his life. Um, He dropped out two weeks before finishing high school because he didn't have enough credits. And his mom was like, you can either find a job and live with me, or if you don't find one, you're leaving. And he didn't find one in time. So like he left the house and he lived under a bridge for a bit, which is where the it, he talks about in something in the way mm-hmm. off of nirvana um but there's one relationship that would come in clutch during high school and that is his friend Roger Buzz Osborne who would later become frontman for the melvins this punk band um
0: there's the most unpunk name
1: yeah n- normally they choose like garbage yeah. Or one word. Um, garbage is actually a band we'll talk the about later. The but... sounds
0: like a doo-wop group in matching suits. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but literally, like, they, they, um, they become good friends with the Melvins, and they pull a lot of inspiration from them. But, yeah, it, it is a very anticlimactic name, I must say. Um, he was instrumental, though, to introducing Kurt to punk and hardcore. And it just captured his attention. Because here's a group of people who understood you know, rejection and being a loner. So it was kind of perfect. And while in this punk scene, he meets a dude by the name of Chris Novoselic. Let's talk about Chris. Chris Anthony Novoselic was born on May 16th, 1965 in Compton, California. His parents are from the island in Croatia. And in full disclosure, while reading about his early life section on wikipedia there's a lot of croatian words that just threw (laughs) me and it made me realize i gotta get out more um but anyway at a young age his family moved from compton to san pedro because i guess there was a really big croatian community there and also
0: compton not a great place to live yeah, yeah, yeah not
1: not the best um but then he he even moved out to croatia with some relatives for a while, and then he came back and they all moved to Aberdeen, Washington. Sounds a little bit familiar yeah, to Kurt's life. So growing up, his taste in music ranged from Led Zeppelin, to back Black Sabbath, to the Ramones, to Sex Pistols, which were also some of Kurt's interests as well. Um, he was first introduced to Kurt by his younger brother. And as dudes be-duding, um, Kurt heard that heard the punk music coming from chris's room and they just shortly after like let's start a band <laughs> that's how it works that's that's like i said dudes be dooting um so let's let's talk about these first couple bands that kurt and chris do uh they form one it only lasts for a few weeks
0: that sounds right
1: and then um Oh, this is a fun and cute fact. They would practice in like someone's bedroom. I'm not sure who's. Um, but if anyone randomly showed up to watch, they called that a gig. <laughs> <laughs> so it was practice up until someone showed up. And then it was a gig.
0: That's how you build your resume.
1: Correct. <laughs>
0: we played 500 gigs. Yeah, 500 in gigs.
1: <laughs> exactly. So then after that phase, they decided let's form a cover band Of the most punk band ever, Creedence Clearwater (laughs) Revival. (laughs) Because there's nothing more punk than Vietnam, boys. That was
0: not what I was expecting. (laughs) What was their cover band name, though?
1: Uh, Sellouts. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. Anyway. um, But after they stopped doing that, um, they recruited drummer Aaron Burkhardt and decided to form a new band. Um, Some potential names included Skid Row, pen cap chew
0: was skid row taken yet because i'm pretty uh, sure skid row was already taken
1: it probably is um ted ed fred that no they should have chosen that dude one. that would have been a great could you imagine the babe the famous baby ted ed fred Ted ed fred, <laughs> fred never mind <laughs> <laughs> uh but eventually they settled on uh nirvana because according to kurt it was a pretty punk name not a mean punk name
0: He's not wrong. He's not he,
1: garbage. He is not wrong. So they start recording their first demos in January of nineteen eighty-eight. Uh, this is also a little bit after this, but just know they're gonna be going through drummers. We're not gonna really spend time talking about all of them because Dave Grohl is the goat. There's yes. really there's really no point. Um, but then by the end of that same year, in November They're already signed to Sub Pop Records. Now, before we get into their first album, let's go ahead and introduce Kurt's drug habit. Um, Kurt first tries heroin in 1986. His girlfriend at the time, Tracy Miranda, was like shocked that he did that because he always made fun of people who used heroin. Um, But there was a reason that Kurt was doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, He had an undiagnosed stomach condition that made him really sick. And when doctors couldn't figure out what was going on, he's like, "Well, I'll go ahead and self-prescribe," and he chose heroin for that. Yeah, maybe
0: be- don't self-prescribe heroin.
1: Yeah, I don't recommend it. Um, because he said it helped to relieve his stomach pain.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it did.
1: Yeah, also destroyed other parts of you but- H-
0: and and numbed everything else. Yes.
1: Um, Kurt also credits like the stomach pain to helping him be creative. He said, like, he would give up a lot to feel better, but he also would be afraid because he would be afraid of losing his creative edge. And I feel like this is a pretty common fear Mm -hmm. of some songwriters because it's almost like they believe they have to have this thorn in their side. They
0: have to suffer for their art.
1: Right. To be a genius. Yeah. It, you know, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong, but that seems to be a perception I've noticed. This torture genius situation. Um, so... Let's go to their first album. The first single is Love Buzz, which was a cover of a song from a band called Shocking Blue. This gave way to their first album called Bleach. Now the recording of this album, it costs $606.17 to make. I could buy that. Yeah. <laughs> um, We know this because the band added that information into the inside of their sleeve. They More felt bands
0: like, need to do that. They
1: felt like it was pertinent. <laughs> it was almost like, you know, when you go to church and they have like, they tell you how much yes. tithe. That's what the band was doing. You know, this is how much we raised this week.
0: We need to know that.
1: Yes. um, That money was funded by Jason Everman, who really believed in the band. And he would briefly join the band on guitar for a couple shows, but he would later leave um he would go on to place play bass for soundgarden which is cool um but i mean they're all in seattle like
0: yeah they're all all the
1: punk people that you know i mean all the grunge people you know they're all living in the same area they're literally
0: all in the same block i think yes (laughs) so
1: it's really not that big of a surprise um kurt who didn't like a lot of things in life (laughs) no he did not uh certainly did not like sub pop for Telling them to go more grunge with their sound, which is very ironic considering they're the biggest grunge band of all time. Like, keep in mind, they're punk really at heart. Yeah. Like, truly, they are punk at heart. And, but yet, they're grunge. So, I don't quite understand why you're so opposed when that's what they became. But anyway, so in Retribution, Kurt wrote all his songs the night before. I don't know what that's supposed to do to show them, but sure. Stick it to them. I mean,
0: props for writing all the songs the night before, because that sounds hella stressful. Yes.
1: Um, so here's a synopsis of those songs, uh, quote, deliberately bleak, claustrophobic, and lyrically sparse with none of the manic derangement or sense of release of the live performance.
0: That sounds terrible.
1: Yes. Um, Anyway, so Kurt did build the songs a little crunchy for the most part. However, it was inspired by sludge metal. Now, if you've not had the honor and privilege of knowing what sludge metal is. I do not. It it is a combo of doom metal and hardcore punk. Do you know what doom metal is?
0: I'm trying to. I'm literally trying to think back to that. What was it? Pokemon analysis you sent me of the different types yes. of metal. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. Yes. I,
0: I don't remember.
1: Doom metal is like. They have like certain. Josh. Josh. How would you describe doom metal? I'm not fi- I'm not finding the right words. Yeah. Describe it. So you know, like Black Sabbath, old Black Sabbath, slow. Yeah. <laughs> so slower than black sla- sabbath, more weed, and that's doom metal. A bunch
0: of doom.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your analysis. Um he is very good at breaking down the subcategories of metal more than I am. Anyway, so you heard it here folks. So it was a combination of doom metal and hardcore punk. Um this sound was pioneered by their friends, the Melvins, hey. punk band, the Melvins they are also like, I guess the forerunners of sludge metal during the days. Um, the album was a steady seller for the record company, um, with like an initial 40,000 copies sold, which I will say for a first album, like on a pretty small label, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. It also received positive views. One critic said, quote, Nirvana, turn up the volume and sp- Bit and claw their way to the top of the musical garbage heap.
0: <laughs> That's so rude.
1: <laughs> oh, you know they loved it. Um, the album cover was a photo. Um, it's kind of like a negative almost, like inverted. Mm-hmm. Um, it was taken at one of their practices by Kurt's girlfriend at the time, Tracy. Um, so during the interview process for this promoting this album, There's this very interesting fact that comes out. And honestly, looking back, it honestly feels like an omen. The band did not want to be labeled as the next best thing. And Kurt said, quote, we're prepared to destroy our careers if that happens. Well, we all know what happens. Uh Uh-oh. So before we get into the album, let's set the scene a little bit. Their new drummer, Chad, he's not making the cut. Probably because he named Chad.
0: Yeah. Get the fuck out of here, Chad.
1: (laughs) Not to judge all Chads, but I'm just saying. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out, Chad. So they bring in the GOAT, Dave Grohl. My boy. The arguably best rock star of all time. Um, The band is also hating their time on Sub Pop. And they start looking for a major label, which if they don't want to be called what the next best fuck? thing, this band is full of so many like.
0: Contradictions. Yes. We don't like
1: our sub pop label. We're going to go to Columbia. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think because they wanted to get bought out of sub pop. That was the reasoning behind they it. They
0: needed the money. They
1: needed the money. Um, So this leads to them signing with DGC Records, which is basically like under Geffen. Okay. Geffen Records. They signed in 1990. So when the album is cut, DGC just wants to sell 250 copies.
0: That's it? That's all they want to sell?
1: Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and little did they know. But first, <laughs> let's get into the recording of this album. Um, they went from a $600 budget to a $65,000 budget. Good God. The album was produced by Butch Vig, who is also the drummer for the band Garbage. Oh. Now, you think with a bigger budget comes more opportunities to hone in your craft? Put some thought, intentionality, and workshop endlessly your lyrics. Nope. Kurt wrote them a few days prior.
0: Hell yeah. I respect this style.
1: <laughs> uh, Dave Grohl said, like, melody always came first for Kurt and lyrics second. Um, so, like, the dude's definitely a procrastinator, but it works for him. What are you going to do?
0: Don't mess the process. That's
1: right. But while we are on the subject of lyrics, let's talk about the theme of the album because there is a theme. And I'm going to introduce Toby Vale, who came after Tracy. She is a member of a Riot Girl band called Bikini Kill.
0: Hey! Yeah, we talked about them did Joan Jet, We did.
1: We did. Um, Kurt was in a relationship with her, but it didn't really go well. According to Kurt, she was pretty oppressive and controlling. Um, So a lot of the songs pull from those like frustrations of that but one thing i do like about kurt while he talked very honestly he did have some rules and and it was don't be homophobic and don't be sexist those are good rules he does not like when people are homophobic and sexist but he has a very odd way of showing that support um just like how some of the things he like worded uh, like i think he wrote like homosexual sex rules only like like random phrases like god is a woman kind of things god is gay like just to really push it on people um there's also a rumor that he was well not a rumor he did say in an interview he's probably bisexual but he was in love with courtney so there was like no point in exploring it almost um so that's very possible kurt was bi um but anyway the intent was there he just had a very odd way of showing it let's just say that to um, be fair,
0: he didn't have a lot of great examples at that point in history correct. of how to show support. So I'm
1: not going to say for the 90s that was good enough because I don't like it going off great. of But, you know, you got to pioneer. <laughs> you got to get there eventually. You tried. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on to the songs themselves. All of them were pretty much written for this album, but one carried over from previous work. It was the song Polly, which features previous drummer Chad Channing. It's a very Chad thing to do. It's a very Chad thing to do. Um, however, it's like just a symbol crash in that song. So I love that. That's his legacy. You get this one symbol crash in this song. I could have done that. <laughs> um, but for the rest of the album, it's all girl. Um, I would love to go track by track describing the meaning of each of these songs, but for time, we're just going to talk about the big one. And that is, as you know, smells like teen spirit. So. This quintessential song, the song you probably learned first on guitar, um, got its name from when he got drunk with Kathleen Hanna, who's also a member of Bikini Kill, and that night she wrote on his wall, Kurt smells like teen spirit.
0: Hey, I had no idea it was Kathleen Hanna who did that. Yeah.
1: And now Kurt interpreted that at the time as this cool anarchist phrase like, man. That's so punk. That's so anarchist.
0: Isn't Teen Spirit a deodorant? Yeah, when they came <laughs> out.
1: <laughs> when the song came out, he learned it was a deodorant brand. <laughs> Which is what Kathleen was referring to. <laughs> so when Kurt came for permission to use that phrase, she's like, uh, sure.
0: <laughs> Kathleen's like, the fuck?
1: Yeah, I, I guess. Oh, man. Um. So... <laughs> Lastly, of course, we got to talk about the album cover. And no, I'm not talking about the lawsuit, so don't ask.
0: It's over now. Is they it over? It. Yeah, the, the kid realized the error of his ways, I think.
1: I could talk a lot about that kid. You know, we're just not going to get into it. There's,
0: he's he's got to be named Chad.
1: <laughs> he's not, unfortunately, but we're going to call him Chad, too. He's Chad, too. Chad Jr. Chad Jr. Anyway, so the idea came about when Groen Kurt. We're watching water births on TV. Why the fuck are
0: they watching? Also,
1: why I was they really on TV? Don't know. This is not the days of YouTube where you can just go Google it's shit. It's the weirdest shit. Uh, I'm telling you, I don't understand the 80s and 90s. Sometimes, like
0: they were just trying to fill that dead air.
1: Yeah, dude, they're like, well, it's 2 a.m. What do we put on? <laughs> uh,
0: I got some water birth videos.
1: <laughs> Throw them on. Put put them on the no air. No one will see it. Yeah, uh, but Kurt would. <laughs>
0: her and are. dave
1: um so that's where the idea came from and originally they wanted to like feature that on the album cover but like it was considered too graphic which is funny because all the instagram water births women mm-hmm. just like just out there you now can do
0: whatever the hell you want on instagram
1: <laughs> um but so they went with the baby and the pool idea which was shot at a pool for babies not like a kiddie pool Okay, like it was a full pool, like it had to be a full pool to get the shot. It's like
0: it's a pool
1: for babies. I don't understand.
0: Like mommy and me swim classes.
1: It's like, I guess, but it's like at least a good four feet. You're putting a baby. I mean, there's people you know, there. Babies
0: have the natural ability to hold their breath if you drop them in water. Really? Because they're they've been floating around in there for nine months. Like it's a, oh. it's a reaction. That's why they do. So that's
1: why they were able to get that shot really well. Because yeah. I I've always when I heard that I was concerned. I was like, they're putting a baby in water. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely people there to like that's Whoop, and you put it in. Whoop, get your shot. That's so. why
0: they do mommy and me baby like swim classes to get them used to the water because they don't want them to lose that natural.
1: Oh. Like oh. if you dunk
0: a, a fresh baby in water, they come up and they go. <laughs> Just a fresh baby, <laughs> fresh baby out of the womb. They come up and they 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 hold the breath and they go and they go. <gasps> when you take them out, because yeah. I guess it's like, yeah, reminiscent of their first breath. Huh. They don't lose that instinct. It's very weird. That
1: is odd. Um. So anyway, they put the baby in the pool. They snap their shots, and then they added the dollar bill, and voila, we have the most famous album art of all time. Now, for the um baby penis. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just jump to it.
1: Little baby Johnson if you will.
0: Ooh, Chad Jr. Jr. <laughs> Chad Jr.
1: Anyway, um the record label was going to cover it with a sticker, and the only way Kurt would agree to that was if the sticker said if you're offended by this, you must be a closeted pedophile. <laughs> that's how Kurt talked. Like when I went back to talking about like him supporting like, <laughs> or him against homophobic and sexism. That's how we talked about those things. So anyway, the, the penis was the Chad Jr. Jr. Was left in. Um, we're going to skip ahead to when the album is cut. Hasn't been released yet. Kurt, while at his mom's house, shows her his new album. And according to his mom, she started listening to it and started crying, but like not out of happiness, out of fear.
0: Well, um, mom, it's kind of your fault that <laughs> he feels this way. A little bit, so. a little
1: bit, but it wasn't for those like lyrically for those reasons. Cause I think at that point, like he had like, he loves, he really does love his parents and his mom. He really does. And I think he kind of understood. But she was scared because she knew that album was going to change everything for him. Damn. And she told him, you better buckle up because you're not ready for this. And remember, they only want to sell 250,000 copies. When Teen Spirit drops, it skyrockets to MTV and radio stations worldwide. Like, it just takes over. And the band immediately noticed their shows were overselling out Mm -hmm. um, fast and by Christmas of that year they were selling 400,000 copies a week Mm -hmm. and I think like the total is like 7 million copies sold in the United States 30 million copies worldwide so it's like one of the best selling albums of all time Um, the album is also contributed to Killing Hair Metal sorry Leah Um, R.I.P. R.I.P. but as we seen Time and time again on this podcast, whenever someone is all of a sudden famous, it just takes a heavy toll on the individual. The band hates that this has happened, mm-hmm. and as far as for dealing with it, I think like Chris and Dave did okay, but Kurt, who's already has, as we discussed some mental health issues, like it slowly begins to eat him up like. He immediately, like, he had warned, starts telling these journalists, like, you suck, you're capitalist pigs, all these sorts of things. Um, the only problem is the media knows that he hates them and they just use it as arsenal to exploit him even further. Um, one magazine went as far to say Nirvana, the Guns and Roses, that's okay to like. <laughs> and yeah. that was quite the jab because axel and kurt hate each other oh yeah well axel's a piece of shit so. axel's a piece of shit yeah 100 percent. but they hate 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 each other but during these interviews and such dave and chris like seem to be leading a lot of them mm-hmm. and you can just like when i was watching this documentary you just watch kurt detach from reality so mm-hmm. to speak um when kurt did speak he felt like he already wrote what needed to be said. Like he just didn't understand why he had to expound on it. Yeah. And he said, like I, he said in one interview, like I'm more interested to see what the fans interpret it as, you know, he just didn't understand why they were asking him mm-hmm. about the meanings behind the songs. So despite the band hating press and hating coverage, they just loved performing, especially Kurt. And that's when he felt most alive. A great story, kind of unrelated, but kind of related, is at the 1992 MTV Music Awards. They were playing their song Lithium. Chris was signaling during that performance that he couldn't hear his bass. Then I'm assuming, out of like, I got to feel this awkward air because I can't hear, he does like a bass toss up, which he does all the time in his shows. Um, but he didn't catch it, he miscalculated. Uh oh. And he, and like the bass quote, hits him on the head and knocks him down <laughs> and those are air quotes folks because supposedly he faked this oh <laughs> because like you know you're already in the hole you might as well just keep digging <laughs> he's like i can't hear i'm gonna play dead no so he literally throws it he missed he's like <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> he just goes down i can't play now sorry guys yeah.
1: he's like if, if you know you might as well make it entertaining i respect that Let's go ahead and introduce Courtney Love to the story. You probably know her, but in case you don't, she is a singer and guitarist for Holes. She also starred in a movie, which I didn't know. Mm -hmm. She's an actress. Um, She meets Kurt through a mutual friend. And when they get together, they fucking love each other Mm -hmm. at first. Like they are really in fucking love. Um, However, this relationship is also based quite a bit on heroin because they're both heroin users. but before 1991, like Kurt is just using occasionally, by 1991, he is a full-fledged addict. Um, this is also around the time that he and Courtney got together. I will say they don't strike me as they're only doing it for drugs. You know, some relationships are just really on codependency on that. I really do believe they loved each other. and We'll talk more yeah. about that later. Um, but the reason I bring this up now is because there's tension in the band. And it's mainly around money. The band originally like split the funds evenly, but Kurt advocated for more since he wrote a majority of the songs. And the band was fine with that up until he wanted to do the split retroactively, which is kind of a dick move. That is a dick move. That's a dick move in my opinion. Um that almost broke them up. Eventually he did get his way. But the reason he was pushing for this, according to Courtney Love. His goal was to make $3 million. And then after that, he was going to quit music and just become a junkie. That's it.
0: That's not a great life goal.
1: No, it's not. So while the band is becoming famous, Kurt and Courtney are becoming famous. Courtney is like, at that point, the most hated woman in America. Mm -hmm. And people just like hated her. And the press tore her apart. So in the documentary, there's some home footage of like Kurt and Courtney discussing how she's the most hated woman in America, like behind Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> like, I forgot that's that Liz. everyone
0: really hated her back. I in didn't 80s. know that.
1: Like, I truly don't remember that because I think we get it overshadowed with you know some of the conspiracy theories. Um, but like Kurt stans would like send her hate mail and say like she has a big fat mouth and that she bullied Kurt into going out with her. And she was in the documentary. She's reading this letter and it just shows a clip of Kurt in a dress, like mocking the fan. <laughs> like he's just kind of mouthing the uh-huh. words and things like that. Um, If so- you were
0: a fan of an artist and you send hate mail to their significant other, you are not a fan of Correct. the artist.
1: Absolutely.
0: You're I agree with that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and you know, I am not the biggest fan of Courtney Love. I don't agree with some of the decisions she's made, but that's just not fucking fair. No, you don't get to be a, you don't get to because... hate someone just because like they're with someone yeah that's that, that is like straight up like sexism yeah there, there's no other words for that there's no reason courtney should have been hated as strongly as she was
0: yeah by quote-unquote fans of right Nirvana. Th-
1: there's no fucking reason so let's go to the third and final studio album in utero for this album the band wanted to go back to its punk ethos so to speak And they wanted a more complex and raw sound for the album. For this, they recruited a new producer who worked with independent bands named Steve Albini. This dude, you can tell, is punk all the way through. He put, like, some interesting policies in place when they were recording this album. Uh, The band and him agreed to record everything in two weeks. So they had, like, 10 to 12-hour days. Um, They went to fucking Minnesota to record. Because... It was snowing and no one could go anywhere. I mean, that's smart, actually. I mean, you can get to work. I get it. And then only Albini, the band, and one sound engineer was allowed in while recording because according to Albini, the people surrounding Nirvana were, quote, the biggest pieces of shit he's ever met. (laughs) (laughs) And um, he also, like, ignored everyone else except for the band. Um, So once the record was cut... Kurt sent the record to the big wigs at Geffen and they hate it. Like they said, the songwriting wasn't up to par. It was unlistenable. Um, I think that's unfair personally, because you know, you have to kind of diversify. Yeah. You don't want,
0: if you made three albums that sounded like, nevermind. Exactly. Then everyone be bored. But that's
1: how they were thinking in the nineties. Yeah. you know, Um, but Kurt is obviously upset by this because he's like, we'll just fucking scrap it and we'll start fresh and we'll just make the same sellout shit that you guys want. But, you know, he said, I just wanted to produce an album that I wanted to listen to, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, and that happens with a lot of artists. They write an album and it's like, I can't listen to this anymore because I'm always performing it. And it's like, they're already moving on to new things. Yeah. Um, but Kurt luckily also showed it to some friends and they really liked the album. So he's like, you know, what? we're running with it. So lyrically, um, Kurt claims the lyrics were completely impersonal, but Dave Grohl sees it another way. He said, quote, a lot of what he has to say is related to a lot of the shit he's gone through. And it's not so much teen angst anymore. It's a whole different ballgame. Rockstar angst. Yeah. The album. It's like a, it's Counting Crows, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the album was released in September of 1993 and received pretty good reviews. Um, Many cited that Kurt should be proud for writing this album and that there was growth as a songwriter, um, which is absolutely true because I do like In Utero quite a bit. Um, It is like n- the next notch up for Nirvana. Yeah. And one critic said, if this is how Cobain is going to develop, the future is a lighthouse bright. Um, But this is when the story... Gets really fucking sad. So the band goes on a two-year tour to promote the album, but the tour would be cut short in 1994. I've held a lot back at this point about what's actually going on in Kurt's mind. I also think subconsciously I did this because this is just really fucking hard to talk about. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie, guys. This is really just brutal. Um, Kurt once said in an interview that he felt as if people wanted him to die because it would be that classic rock and roll story. And I think it was really him talking about also what was going on in his head Mm -hmm. and really projecting it on himself. So remember the cartoons I was talking about, they drew his whole life. They were really a snapshot into his mind and the motions that he was processing. And at first when he was a kid, really happy. When he's in high school, you know, offensive, you know, boy stuff. But as he got older and more into drugs, like that art took such a dark turn. And they were pretty grotesque in nature. I-, I just don't know how to describe them, but like the documentary has those pictures and you can take a look at those drawings if you'd like. Um, now I know some will say like this is just a form of art, that torture genius thing. I totally get it. It is a form of art. But along with these drawings in his journals, as well as his writing, like what he thought about himself, the resentment he had, the anger and rage for what became of his life, like he was not well. Mm-hmm. He was just not well at all. Um, there was just a lot of dark stuff in his soul. And I'll be honest, everyone wanted to exploit that in him. And that's fucked up. Um, you know, they, they were totally like the media was just bent on this, like, explaining the concerned parents listening to this music and that drives up profits, right? When you kind of pull that angle. But Kurt was in pain, both physically and mentally. And like I said, that streamline of suicidal thoughts has continued his whole life. Um, When Francis Bean Cobain was born in 1992, that did motivate him to get cleaned up a little bit. Um, And then for a bit, like both him and Courtney had kicked the habit. Like when Courtney found out she was pregnant, she's like, I'm done.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But as more and more time would go on, and I'm not really entirely sure what the trigger was. um, Kurt started detaching again. And this time it was from his whole family. And he was always on heroin at the time. He was losing weight. He was getting sores all over his body. I also believe him and Courtney were starting to have a little bit of marital problems, Mm -hmm. mainly around his drug use and just completely detaching. That's fair. You know what I mean? Um, But on this world tour in March of 94, Kurt went to a coma while in Rome um, from champagne and taking like 50 pills of one drug. That'll do it. Yeah. Yeah, and um, Courtney found him unconscious and rushed him to the hospital. He survived, but shortly after there was an intervention, which led him to going to rehab, he didn't stay too long because he escaped from climbing over a fence, and then on April 5th, 1994, Kurt took his own life in his house. Um, I'm not going to spend time on conspiracy theories for this, mainly because they piss me off. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Something about this pisses me off, and I th- But I do have to say one thing. We need to give the whole Courtney thing a rest, guys. We need to give it a rest. Like, the fact that she was hated so much in the 90s and how that sexism has just carried over is just fucking ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, I don't agree with everything Courtney has done, especially when it comes to Kurt's estate. Mm -hmm. I don't agree. But we keep losing track of, like, the real tragedy here. Kurt was virtually in pain almost his whole entire life. And it only got magnified as he got famous and the press started coming for him and his loved ones. More importantly, like we lost a musician writer. Francis lost a father. Mm-hmm. Courtney lost a husband. And I think we forget that sometimes, like what's really at stake and what we put musicians slash humans into the celebrity vortex and then we expect them to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, let's go ahead and end with Legacy. So, Nirvana, n- blah, blah, blah. Nirvana. Nirvana slash Kurt was considered the voice of Gen X, and they put a voice to their frustration and angst, although the band hated that. Doesn't matter. If that's what happened. Um, in 2014, the band was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, with Kurt being inducted post hominously. Right? Damn it. It's not hominously. No, there's no N in there. I have an N in it. It's humusly. Whatever. Um, Then then they have become one of the most top-selling bands of all time with over 75 million records sold. They have plenty of accolades to their name, but most importantly, I think they will always be one of the best bands to exist. It's a rare generation defining band like the Beatles, which is not too damn bad for a bunch of punk kids from Aberdeen, Washington. And that is Nirvana. And of course, before we close out, I'm going to say it again. If you and a loved one are struggling with suicidal thoughts, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. That number is
0: 800-273-8255. Thanks for listening. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Pods. Special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. Shout out to Jeff Bezos for the th- free audio box. <laughs> uh, you can visit our website, shiwaraki.com. There you'll find socials, show notes, how to contact us, and you can buy our merch. Uh, and remember,
1: don't do drugs. Please don't do drugs. his oh. collar where's her collar you took them off did i yes i fucking forgot <laughs> i literally you forgot well because i usually take it off in the morning like they're loud
0: you said i would take them off and Fuck, then i said I now they're naked." i
1: forgot <laughs> god my memory man you better get ready i'm about to turn 30
0: that was it's bad. about
1: it's about to get back <laughs> anyway